So as we continue going to through Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, we are in chapter 3. Chapter 3. And this morning we are focusing in on chapter 3, verses 14 through 17a. 17a. So we'll be looking at that section and focusing in. If you're excited to find out what 17B is, come again next Sunday. And we'll start at 17B. But today we're going to look at 14 through 17A. So you can find us on page 1,158 in the Bibles provided in the chairs. Ephesians 3, starting at verse 14. For this reason. Okay, now what's the reason? So we're going to have to go back. For this reason. Hmm, so we're going to have to go back now. So go back to the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason. Uh-oh. So we're going to have to go up further. So we're going to have to go up to chapter 2, verse 19. So this is actually where our passage begins. Chapter 2, verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer... He's speaking to the Gentiles here. You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, in this Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, who was the word when God created everything, he spoke it, and we know that Jesus is the word. So Jesus, who was with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit from eternity past. It's in him, this Jesus Christ, to whom everything was created by him and for him. In him, the whole building. This is the building. This is the church. This is the family of God. This is God's people. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. So whenever you come to chapter 3, and you have the, for this reason of chapter 3, verse 1... And then when you have chapter 3, verse 14, where again it says, for this reason, both of those for this reasons come back to the summary of chapter 1 and 2, which is verses 19 through 22. 19 through 22. So now that we've looked at 19 through 22, where it speaks of the work of Christ because of his cross, 
Because of his death on the cross, there is forgiveness and justification and redemption and new life for all who will believe, for all that Christ will call and draw to himself. Jew, Gentile, free, slave, male, female, barbarian, Scythian, Greek, it doesn't matter what background, what people, what language, what culture, all that matters is in Jesus Christ, you become united into his body. The Holy Spirit lives in you and you become one people, one new people with the Holy Spirit on within you. So now that we've looked at 19 through 22, now we can go back to verse 14. Now you go to chapter 3, verse 14. So here we go. For this reason, so we just looked at the reason. Chapter 2, starting at verse 19. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Through faith. So let us pray. Father, we thank you. Again, it is an amazing thing to consider the gospel. That you make one new people. That you make one family. That you, you unite all those who are to believe and trust in your son, Jesus Christ. That you unite them as one people. To give you glory and praise and honor. Father, we pray that you'll guide us at this time that you'd give us wisdom and understanding through your Holy Spirit, that you'd give us discernment so that we may know the truth. For if we know the truth, which is your Son, Jesus Christ, we will be set free. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. Amen. If you go back in chapter 3, if you look at verse 7, we see where the Apostle Paul is building to this moment of prayer. That's what we start today. This Sunday, and Lord willing, next Sunday, we're going to see the two main components of this prayer. That's what I love about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, as he's guided through the Holy Spirit, and as he's teaching the truths of God as he's lifting up the gospel of Jesus Christ, as he's lifting up the glories of God's grace and love, you'll see times where he just breaks out into praise and times where he falls to his knees in prayer. He cannot but worship and pray when he speaks to the things of God. So we're going to see that process through chapter 3, and we see chapter 3, verse 7. Again, the Apostle Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am 
less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So we see in verse 7 and verse 8, already these two themes. The one theme that the Apostle Paul knew that he was absolutely, completely dependent on the power of God, on the strength of God. Because he knew in himself, he was, when it came to spiritual strength and ability, he was bankrupt, he was impoverished, he was broken. There, there was no strength that he could muster in and of himself to do anything for God. So he was absolutely, completely dependent on the gift of God's grace. Not only the gift of God's grace that saved him, because if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that means God has given you the gift of faith. He's given you the gift of trust. He's given you the gift of knowing him and loving him and desiring him more than sin, more than the world, and more than the devil. This is the amazing work of God. So here the Apostle Paul then says, once we are saved, to serve God, to continue in our sanctification process of serving, and for Paul to minister and preach the gospel, he is absolutely dependent on God's strength each and every moment of every day. That's the theme of the entire Bible. When Abraham and Sarah consider that they are supposed to have a child, and you have a moment where they aren't trusting in God's strength, but they trust in their own strength and ability, you get Isaac. Is that how you get Isaac? No. You get Isaac because of God's strength and of power and ability. When Abraham and Sarah want to do things in their strength and their ability, who do you get? Ishmael. You get Ishmael. And that becomes a theme throughout the Scriptures. When we try to do things in our own power, in our own strength, in our own ability, it turns out to be a disaster. Disaster. God is still gracious and good. He still leads and guides. He is sovereign. But when we trust in our power and our strength, it's a disaster. Now, when we trust in God's power, his strength, his ability, then we see the miraculous take place of his glory being lifted up and God using us to display his majesty and his power. So we see this first theme in 3.7 that Paul was absolutely dependent on God's grace given me through the working of his power. God's power, his strength. What's the other thing? The other thing is this, that although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach. Paul knew he was weak, but he knew God is strong. So that's why when you go to the passage we're looking at this morning, 
Can you consider verses 14 through 17a? You see these same themes. So we'll look at verse 14. And if you want to follow along, there's an outline provided at the back of the bulletin, and it will have some of the verses I'll be touching on and kind of gives an overall view of this passage of Scripture. So we'll look at first verse 14. The Apostle Paul, again, for this reason, the reason being that God brings about his will and his ways. He has brought about the gospel, salvation of his son, Jesus Christ, so that people would be united as one family to give God glory and honor. So the Apostle Paul says in verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees. This is where the Apostle Paul is driven to his knees. He just, he just falls to his knees and he praises God and lifts everything up to God. I bow my knees before the Father. Before the Father. Who's this Father? This is, our, this is the Heavenly Father. This is God Almighty God the Father. And we know that because verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That's a powerful Father. Every family on heaven and earth. He's the one who created everything. He's the one who sustains everything. He's the one that brings about His will and plan of redemption. He's the one that creates one new family out of every tribe and language and people group. He's the one who we see in His Son, Jesus Christ. The Son is lifted up as the King of kings and Lord of lords to whom every knee shall bow on heaven and on earth. This is the Father. This is the Father. We see the Apostle Paul here as he's teaching these brothers and sisters in Christ in Ephesus, he's, he's inviting them to fall on their knees alongside of him and to understand who their father is and how powerful their father is and that they can trust their heavenly father with everything in every circumstance because he is able. He is strong. He is strong. We see this theme again and again in the Scriptures. If you look at Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 6, it talks about Jesus, though He was in the form of God, did not count equity with God a thing to be grasped, but He emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's what's so amazing about the gospel. You have Jesus Christ, who is God. He's the eternally begotten Son of God, humbling Himself to the point of allowing His creation, allowing sinful man to mock 
insult, beat, and crucify. The King of kings and Lord of lords. This happens so that we, while we are still insulting and mocking and speaking against Christ, we hear Christ from the cross say, forgive them, they know not what they do. It's an amazing statement. Because of this, Verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. You see, this is from our passage today, Ephesians 3. This is what Paul says in verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And here in Philippians 2, we see this, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's how high Jesus is. That's how wonderful. That's how powerful the Father is. That's the strength that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit that unites us with Jesus Christ. This verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. The best passage to go to when you're considering this in the Old Testament is Isaiah 43. So I invite you to go to Isaiah 43. This is a powerful passage which shows about God naming. That's what we see Paul lifting up here and in verse 15, Paul has fallen on his knees before his heavenly Father. And he's praying to God. He's praying to the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. And he's taking us to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. In Isaiah 43, you see the heart of the Father. You see the heart of the Father of the prodigal Son. You know the parable that Jesus taught about the, the prodigal son who comes to his father and says, Father, give me my inheritance now. He takes it. And by asking that, he's saying, Father, I want your money more than I want you. I want this and that and that more than I care for you. It's the most painful thing a child could say to a parent. And the prodigal son goes off and he, he squanders it and he wastes it on immoral and wicked living. And he's starving to death. There's a famine in the land and he wants to eat the hog's food. And he, he comes to his senses. And he says, I'm better off being a servant in my father's house. So he goes and he goes. And while he's still a long way off, the father sees him. Remember what the son kept rehearsing in his mind? Father, I am not worthy to be called your son anymore. Please let me be a servant in your household. This is what he's rehearsing. This is what, Father, I'm not longer worthy to be your son. Just make me a servant in your household. Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I mean, he's just going through this. He's going through this. And the father sees him. And the father 
pulls up his robe and runs as fast as he can and celebrates. And what does the father say to the son? Does he say, you're going to be my servant now? What does he call? My son. That's grace. That's amazing grace. So Isaiah 43. This is the heart of the father. And this is this father that Paul is praying to and lifting up in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. So here we see the heart of the father. Isaiah 43, starting at verse 1. But now thus says the Lord. (laughs) He created you. O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel. See, first we understand God as the creator. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Now that's one of the most beautiful statements in all of Scripture. Because the context of Isaiah 43, the people of God had been just as wicked as the prodigal son. They had turned to idolatry. They had turned to wicked and moral living. They had turned away from God and lived lives of complete, utter destruction. So for God to speak to them and say, I created you, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have bought you out of your enslavement to sin. I have bought you out of your enslavement to the world and to the devil. I have bought you out of the consequences of sin, which is death and eternal conscious torment. I have redeemed you. I have bought you back. And we understand that the price was his perfect holy son, Jesus Christ dying on the cross, paid the debt. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. That's how personal. Each and every one of you here, each and every one of us who knows and believes in Jesus Christ, that means God has come to you personally and called your name just as Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb and made you alive to know him and love him. I have called you by name. You are mine. That's it. Verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. We see images of Noah being saved in the ark through the waters, of Moses being saved on dry land through the, through the sea. We see images of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown in a fiery furnace and not even the smell of smoke on their clothes. Verse 3, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. This is 43. You go down to verse 7 of 43, Isaiah 43. 
everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Why do you exist right now? For God's glory. Why do you have breath in your lungs right now? For God's glory. That's the purpose of your life. That's everything. And then you go down to verse 11. Again, I, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. We see where Jesus takes that and says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Here it's this theme. Isaiah 43, pivotal chapter in the Old Testament. 12, I declared and saved and proclaimed. When there is no strange God among you and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. One of these passages that that just grabs hold of you. Grabs hold of you. And it's it's the grabbing hold of you where where it's it's God the Father reaching down and, and taking hold of you and pulling you close and tenderly rocking you in his strength and in his protection and in his love. So this is the Father. This is the God we see that the Apostle Paul is is praying to and lifting up in Ephesians chapter 3. From whom every family in heaven and earth is named, verse 16, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, the riches of his glory, And that's the key thing about God the Father that the Apostle Paul is lifting up. The main thing that should draw us and attract us, the main thing that should become our passion and our desire, the main thing that should consume our thoughts is the glory of God, is the glory of His gospel, the glory of His power, the glory of His love, the glory of His grace, that we just lift Him up. This becomes what is dominant in our thoughts, dominant in our mouths, dominant in our lives. This is is what the Apostle Paul is saying. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to just... Make it through by the skin of your teeth. Is that what the verse said? He may grant you to be strengthened. This is a powerful word. Strengthened with the power through His Holy Spirit in your inner, the deepest recesses of who you are through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, again, this, that you may be strengthened with the power of the Spirit. 
This, of course, again, is one of the key themes throughout the Old and New Testament. First, I take you to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4. Here's a beautiful passage that helps us understand verse 16 of Ephesians 3, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened. Why is there a cross? Why did Jesus die on a cross? This is what we have to understand for this moment, for this passage. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Because God is holy. Because he is just. Because the wages of our sin is death and eternal destruction. That, that These are the things. But the highest thing is the reason why Jesus Christ had to die on the cross is because on the cross we see the clearest, most powerful display of the riches of the glory of God. Of the riches of the glory of God. Because on the cross, we see that God is holy. We see that God is just. We see that God is gracious. We see that God is merciful. We see that God is a God of wrath. That God is jealous. We see that God is tender. And God is kind. It is the cross of Jesus Christ that most perfectly lifts up the glory of God Because if you're in Jesus Christ, you will have eternity to begin to grasp and understand the riches of the glory of God. It's inexhaustible. You won't fully grasp it for eternity. But the cross, the cross, that moment gives enough of an image where it leaves us Speechless. When we consider it, we just stand in awe and consider the cross. So that's what the Apostle Paul is doing in 2 Corinthians 4. He's, he's, he's going to expose some of these riches of the glory of God that strengthen us. And how he does it in 2 Corinthians 4 is this, verse 10. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Wow. That's one of the things you sign up for when you become a Christian. You sign up for peace. You sign up for hope. You sign up for forgiveness. You sign up for grace. You sign up for suffering. You sign up for persecution. You sign up for opposition. And you sign up to carry in your body, the death of Jesus. That's the full thing you sign up for. That's why you need to always read the full contract if you're going to sign. Read the whole contract. We're so used to not even read the contracts. You go online and you're going to sign up for something in that, and you go down and you just see the first line of this little thing that you have to accept. Who here has ever read and scrolled through and read that entire document? Anyone? Anyone? Oh, God bless you. Okay, that's good. 
you leave a good example for us. <laughs> I never have. <laughs> I don't even scroll it. I just click accept and move on. Anyone else do that? Am I the only one that does that? Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Thank you. Testify. Yeah. Don't do that with Jesus. That's a bad example when it comes to Christ. So the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, when he's getting at this glory, he says this, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. This is where Jesus says, you want to share in his glory? Oh, sign me up. You want to share in the peace and redemption that comes with him? Oh, oh, yes. Pick up your cross and follow him. Oh, wow. That's what Paul's getting at in 2 Corinthians 4. Verse 11, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus Christ. That's a powerful statement. The Apostle Paul, who was shipwrecked, who was beaten, who was imprisoned, who was at float at sea, who knew starvation. He knew all the pains and turmoils that one can experience in the flesh on this earth. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Verse 15, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 4. So we do not lose heart. Here's this. If you have tasted that Christ is good, if you've begun to see the riches that are in Jesus Christ, verse 16 becomes true to you. Here it is, verse 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away our, here's the same phrase that's in our passage, our inner self is being renewed day by day. That's what Paul is praying for here in Ephesians 3, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, the deepest core of who you are. That's, that's what he's saying here. 2 Corinthians 4, again, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. That's what Paul says. This light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. 
That's what Paul is praying for these brothers and sisters in Christ in Ephesus is that they would understand that no matter what they face, whatever difficulty or challenge on this heaven and earth, that it is, it can't even compare to the riches of the glory of God. And it is but a light, momentary affliction. This is crucial. I've been very blessed as a pastor to be able to come alongside. I've come alongside a man in his last moments of cancer, his body riddled with pain, and I've taken his hand and we've recited the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer one together. And we sang, Jesus loves me, this I know together. And he could say with trembling, weak lips, I love Jesus. Because he understood the riches of the glory of God that don't even compare to that. This is how I've met brothers and sisters in Christ in Indonesia who when they became Christians, their homes were burned, their family was taken away from them, and they fled some with the marks of physical torture on their bodies. And I was able to worship alongside of them and hear them say, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Because they knew the riches of the glory of God were far greater than anything of this heaven and earth. And they knew whatever suffering or difficulty or pain they face now was but a light, momentary affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This is what the Apostle Paul is praying for here. And this is through the power of the Holy Spirit, with power through His Spirit in your inner being. 17a, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Remember Matthew 28, Jesus said, go. That's the command in the Greek in that section. Go. Make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Teaching them all that I command you. And I hope you make it. Is that how it ends? I hope, I hope you make it through. No. It says, I will be with you to the end of the age. And that's what's so powerful about Ephesians 3. We already know that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf. And now we have, through the Holy Spirit, Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith our faith in Him, our trust in Him, our belief in Him. No matter how lonely, no matter how hurting, no matter what challenge we face, can Jesus get any closer than in the deepest 
recesses of your heart and mind. He can't get any closer. Remember who the Father is. Remember the Son, Jesus Christ. And remember the strength of the Holy Spirit. This is the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. This is the same Holy Spirit that raised us from spiritual death to spiritual life. And this is the same Holy Spirit that enables us, no matter what we face, no matter what pain, what challenge, what suffering enables us to say, Jesus, I love you. You are more important to me than anything else. That's the riches of the glory of God working in our lives. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. You are gracious. You are good. Father, we pray that you will help us that you would bow our knees before you. That we would understand the riches of your glory all the more. Father, we pray that you will strengthen us with the power of your Holy Spirit to the deepest recesses of who we are. And Father, we pray that your Son, Jesus Christ, would dwell in our hearts through faith in him. Lead us, guide us, take us by the hand, and help us every moment. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.